So if you have your Bibles out, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 17 today. We're still in our series that you may believe. And the title of this teaching today is Finish the Work. And there's nothing that expresses who we are in our life as much as prayer does. Jesus was a man of great prayer. And this is the greatest prayer that was ever prayed here on earth and the greatest prayer that was ever recorded in Scripture. So you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever read this chapter, John 17? It's an amazing chapter, isn't it? You know, there's some debate on where this prayer was given, whether it was in the upper room or the garden, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus prayed this. And Jesus was a man of great prayer. Remember, Jesus woke up early in the morning, went to a quiet place, and he prayed to his Father. And when we pray, it becomes just how clear our relationship is with God, how much we know him and how well that we know him. And this deep prayer with, is rich with his relationship to his Father. It's between God the Son and God the Father. And this prayer is very purposeful, and it's well thought out. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. You know, it's unlike some of our prayer lives, or I can't say your prayers, but I can say my prayer life. When I get into my prayer life, I'm starting to pray. Next thing I go, oh, squirrel. And next thing I go, I'm, I'm all over the place, right? Well, Jesus was very purposeful in his prayer. And there's nothing that expresses who we are as our prayer life. And I want to encourage you, if you want to learn to pray, we call it Monday, monthly Monday prayer. It's on Monday nights. I want to encourage you to come out for that. It's a time when we have great prayer warriors here, right here in our sanctuary, that are praying. You want to learn to pray, be around people that are praying and pray with them. Also in January, we're going to have prayer week. We're going to start, and we're going to just start the year off by praying, all of us, corporately. It's powerful. So I want to encourage you. If you want to learn to pray, remember, the disciples had to ask Jesus, right? They asked him, teach us. We need to learn. We need to grow in our prayer lives. So I want to encourage you to come out for that. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 17, verse 1. And what's getting ready to happen is we'll see that Jesus is getting ready to approach his death. Nothing else has, is remaining. He's done everything that he could, and now he will be crucified for the sins of the world. But what he's doing now is he's fully committing himself to prayer. Fully. And he's taking time to talk to his father. Now remember, he was talking to the disciples about his father. And now he's talking to his father about the disciples. He's basically giving God a report of what he's done over the last three years. He's telling him what he's done over those three years. And to think that we have the privilege, the privilege to listen in as Jesus talks to his father. He had just encouraged the disciples, right? He encouraged them because what did he tell them? He gave them a promise. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble but he gave him that reassurance that I've overcome the world. So he gives them a promise and a reassurance of who he is, that he's going to overcome the world, and that we can overcome the world as well. Jesus was praying for all of us long before we were even born. So now turn to chapter 17, and we'll be in verse 1. 
And it says this. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. Jesus is now lifting his eyes towards heaven. This indicates a physical posture that Jesus had as he prayed. Now, this is not the physical posture that we normally do, is it? How do we normally pray? We bow our heads, we close our eyes, and we pray. And this is the common practice on how we pray. But Jesus was praying something different. What he was doing, he was lifting his eyes, he was probably lifting his hands, he was looking up, keeping his eyes on the Father. But he had a posture in prayer. What he was doing, he was looking to receive an expectation about what God is about to do. And for us, do we pray with that expectation? Do we pray with the expectation on what God's doing? He was standing there in reverence and humility because he knew that God would answer his prayers. And then it says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. This opening verse just shows us how personal our prayer time is, and how personal it was for Jesus and for us, our relationship that we get to call God our Father. That's personal. And that's very important because we share his life with him. And our Lord begins praying for himself. He says, glorify your son that your son may be glorifying you. So I want to just tell you, it's okay to pray for yourself, okay? If Jesus is praying for himself, it's okay for us to pray for ourselves. And he's doing that. But by praying for himself, he was also praying for us. And he says, Father, the hour has come. He knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew what laid before him. And this reminds us of how many times in the Gospel of John that he said, my hour has not come. It's not time for me. But Jesus lived on a divine timetable while he was here on earth. And he knew he was here for a reason, for the will of his Father to be done. In Psalms 31.15, it says this, My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. First point is, our time is in God's hands as well. Our time is in God's hands. He knows everything about us, And we're in his hands, his loving hands. And then in verse 2, it says this. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is so significant to all of us because Jesus has all the authority. It was given to him. And his words are that they know you, the only true God, and they know Jesus Christ. This is the only way that we receive eternal life. By knowing who Jesus is, by receiving him into our lives, Knowing Jesus and the Father are one, believing in them and receiving them into our hearts, that's how we have eternal life. And if you don't know Jesus and you've never received him into your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of this service to do so. 
And then in verse 4, it says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This remarkable prayer is made up with a heart and a mind looking up towards heaven. He was with God in the beginning before creation. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The glory of Jesus, the Word that was there before the world began. His concern was for himself, but his main concern was for the glory of God. This is a great point for us today. When we look at our lives and how successful we are and how we're doing, we need to look and we need to ask ourselves the question, Father, have I glorified you? Is what I'm doing glorifying you? Glorify your son. This was not a selfish prayer. Because as servants and children of God, we have every right to ask God for the help needed to glorify his name. Everything that we need to glorify his name, we have the right to ask our Heavenly Father for that. The purpose in prayer in our life is that God should be glorified. Now, how is God glorified? It says, I've come to do the will of my Father, bringing you glory by finishing the work. But what was that finished work? He saved the disciples. He trained the disciples, and now he's setting them out into the world. He's sending them out. Remember, on the cross, he will say, it is finished, and he gives up his spirit. Because on the cross, that's the finished work. But he says, I finished what you sent me to do. What I have done is my heart and my mind are fixed on the highest thing, and that's you, Father. It's you, but it's also them, all of us. And fulfillment of God's will, no matter what the cost, the obedience that we have, even if it means suffering. Because that's what Jesus did. So that eternal life could come to all of us who know God. And the importance of the word glory or glorified, because it's used five times in this, is Jesus' burden to God that he would glorify his Father. And soon we would realize what that is when he dies on the cross for us because he will bring the greatest glory to his father through his suffering and his death on the cross. You know, the cross to the world is foolish. It was humiliation to them. It was weakness in the eyes of the world. But to God, it's an instrument of his glory. Through God's eyes, it's an instrument of glory. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Amen? It's the power of God. The cross will glorify the Son, and the Son will glorify His Father. Jesus being crucified is God's power and wisdom. The cross will glorify both the Father and the Son and the Son. Jesus uses the authority that God had given him to serve us, to save us, to give us eternal life, and make God's name known through his word. 
through his word. The priorities of personal prayer are our relationship with God. They are established so that we can fulfill the work that God has given us to do. The highest priority of our everyday lives should be to finish the work that God has given us to do. Lord, what would you have me do today? You know, I'd like to say that I'm faithful with that every day in my prayer life to say, Lord, what would you have me do today? But I'm not. But it's a great place for us to start. Lord, what would you have me do? Your will be done, not mine. Next point is prayer conforms us to the will of God. Obedience in finishing the work. Matthew 5, 16 puts it this way. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I think that right now is a great time for all of us to ask, Father, how am I doing with this? How am I doing? Does the work that I do, is it more for the world or is it more for the kingdom of God? How am I serving you? Do I give more time to my work and the pleasures of this world, or do I give more time to my service and my devotion to kingdom work? And God, who receives the glory in this? Who receives the glory in what we do in our daily lives? Is it ourselves, or is it God? It's a great opportunity to take a look at that. And then in verse 6, Jesus is going to pray for his disciples. He says, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Now, the world is used 19 times. It may be a little bit off. It may be a little bit more or less. I'm not sure, but I think it's 19 times. Because this prayer shows the connection between Jesus overcoming the world and what the world really is. And if it's more or less, you can email me, and I'll, I'll change the notes, Okay. But Jesus is saying that they're not of this world because we're not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. Then it says, they were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. The key words in that is, I gave them the word. We've been given the word of God. He says, I have revealed to them who you are. I have made you known. And this was part of that finished work that Jesus did to make God known. It is God who moves to us in grace through Jesus Christ on the cross. While people seek God, Salvation by grace only comes through Jesus Christ. And that means that God has taken the initiative to reach out to us. For God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for us so that we could have eternal life. If you're taking notes, we're Christ's inheritance. We're his people and we belong to him. And it says, and they obeyed the word. Obedience is important in our lives. And then verse 9, it says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. 
All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Isn't that very powerful when he says, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine? Isn't that what our lives are like? Everything that we have comes from God. It's all his. None of this is by our own doing. It's all by God. And in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they still are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be as one as we are one. He's praying that we share his life. What Jesus is saying that they are one as we are one, it's about a oneness or a holiness that we have in our lives. He's saying, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you protect them in this world by the power of my name, by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. The key is in that name in Isaiah 9, 6. I like this because it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government's will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's the name that binds us together. That's the name that protects us. Jesus and the Father have one purpose. They have a mutual honor and a partnership to keep us safe. And this oneness Jesus is calling us to, he's calling us to be holy. He's not calling us to a surface unity that we all just say, oh, we're united. We're not. We're only united if we're in Christ. A deep sense of togetherness, a oneness in that reconciling grace of our Lord and Savior. Prayer makes us partners. We participate in God's work. In Philippians 1.5, it says this, because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now. We're partners in prayer, finishing the work that God gave us to do. Partners in God's work. Our task is for us to share with one another and carry the good news to a lost world. To tell people about Jesus Christ, that Jesus was crucified and that he died on the cross for our sins. And we are called to share that with a lost world. And then in verse 12, it says, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And we all know who that is, right? But in the Old Testament, the Jewish people knew God as Jehovah, right? And then in Exodus, we hear it as I am, the great I am. And Jesus has revealed now his Father's gracious name, that God is so gracious and he is so generous to all of us. And Jesus in the book of John, he made that name meaningful and purposeful to the disciples. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. Jesus revealed to his disciples and to us today that Jesus is everything that we need. Jesus is all we need. He is everything we need. And Jesus makes it very clear that his father sent him. He says his words and works came from God. And this was a clear claim of who he was that they would believe. And Jesus was praying for the protection of the believers by the power of the name that he was given the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. 
Our safety depends on the nature of God and who He is, not about who we are, our character, and what we've done. Jesus kept His disciples safe while He was on earth, and now that He is glorified in heaven, and He sits at the right hand of His Father with the Holy Spirit, together all of them can protect us and keep us together because they are one as we are one in Him. God watches over us and God prays for us. Jesus prays for us every day. And Christ Jesus who died, or it says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is to the right hand of God and is also interceding for us today. Amen? He's interceding for us right now, each and every one of us. Not to mention that we are a gift from God. God wouldn't give Jesus a gift that wouldn't last, right? You're precious in his sight. You know, Jesus was praying for us before we were even born. In Psalms 139:17, it says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O Lord. Each and every one of us are precious to God. We're his children. Just like our darling children, with all our failures and faults, no matter what we do, Jesus loves us. Always. And he's praying for us. He's protecting us. Never forget that you're God's treasured possessions. You're precious sons and daughters of his. And when you feel like God has forgotten you and his love seems far away, for me, I like to read Romans. In Romans 8, 31 through 37, it says this. We're not going to read it all, but he says, Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us? How will he not also, along with us, graciously give us all things? Because if God is with us, who can be against us? And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even the stupid things that we do can separate us from that. And Jesus says, my glory has come through them. It's come through the disciples. It comes through us. And this should be encouraging for us that what a blessing it is that God uses each and every one of us. In Philippians 1.6, it says, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has provided us with every resource that we need to glorify him, to be faithful and obedient to the calling that he has given us. We have his word. We have the word of God, and God's word reveals to us who we have in Jesus Christ. His word gives us promises and reassurances. We live by the promises of God, which are in his world, not the explanations of the world. His word gives us these promises and these reassurances that build our faith, that help us when we pray. And Jesus knew this because Jesus says this in John eleven forty two. 42. It says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Our benefit to hear the word of God. That's our benefit. God always answers the prayers of his son. And this is what kept the disciples safe and secure in us as well. But we also have the fellowship 
of the church. The unity as believers, that they are one as we are one. And the New Testament church knows nothing about isolation. Why? Because we need each other. We need each other, all of us. Just like cleaning up the church, we need to be together. We need to be together. We can't be isolated. And we will discover how weak we are and how much we need each other when we are isolated. And there's encouragement in the fellowship with other believers. We're secure because of that. The glory of God that Jesus is stepping in on our behalf. Aren't you so glad that Jesus steps in? I am. I'm glad that all the time when I fail and I do something stupid, and like I said, I do something stupid and I've got a whole room of stupid prizes for it, okay? Because I have. But I'm glad that Jesus is right there and he'll say to God, yeah, he's one of the ones you gave me. Yeah, that's Craig. And he'll hold out his hand and go, yeah. That's what we want, right? It's not about what we've done or what we can do. It's about what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. We have eternal life because we share our lives in Christ. And now Jesus prays for his word in verse 13. It says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now, Jesus is getting ready to go back to his father. But what he wants to do is he wants us to have that full measure of joy. Jesus is not praying that we be taken out of the world. Jesus is saying through our relationship that we have with Jesus that we can experience the full joy of Christ in our lives. This is a joy belonging with the assurance of being God's own possession for the joy in this world by God giving us his word. We have his word. In verse 17, it says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself and that they too may be truly sanctified. And this is a key for us in God's work. It will change us. The truth that we seek is right here in this Bible. It's the truth is in God's word. And this prayer for oneness moves from a plea for the disciples to be protected to their sanctification. And sanctification means that we're set apart. We're set apart from the world. We're called to be holy. A holiness being that we belong to God, that we are wholly his. We are wholly his children. We're not members of the world. We're not of this world. We're members of the family of God. Twice Jesus mentions that his disciples are not of this world, just as he is not. He doesn't pray for them to be taken out of the world. As Christ followers, it's not an escape from the world. We're not trying to escape from the world. Instead, it's a promise of victory through Jesus Christ. In the ordinary events that happen or the not ordinary events that fact happen in our, day, our lives, Jesus is there and he is victorious through them. Jesus is praying for us to be sent out into the world, but not of the world. We're called to be in the world, 
but not of it. We're victorious. Jesus was victorious. He was not a victim on the cross. And we are not victims in our everyday lives because we are victorious in Jesus Christ. And God will teach us. He will set us apart. And the things that this God's word will do for us, they will change us from the inside. We will be changed from the inside because God's word is truth and truth transforms us. The joy the word gives us. In Nehemiah 8.10 it says, this, is the, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is the very heart of his prayer. Jesus was full of deep abiding joy. Jesus had already referred to this joy. And it comes from our transformation, our sanctification when we're set apart from the world and our answered prayers. In John 16, 24, it says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Joy comes from our prayers and the Word of God. Jesus makes it very clear. As believers, we don't find joy in the world. What we find joy in is the Word of God. One of the best illustrations of that comes in John 3.29. It says this, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. When we hear the word of God, it transforms us, it changes us, and our joy is complete. And the word of God is the only thing that can give us that joy. The world hates us because we don't conform to the world, right? The world gives us different things. We live by the promises of God, not the explanations of the world. I always think about that great theologian, Ricky Bobby. You know Ricky Bobby. What did he say? If you're not first, you're last. What we need to do in our careers is we need to step over someone's back so that we can get to the top. That's what the world says. But what does God say? God says, if you want to be first, you need to be last. You need to be a servant to all. Other people's interests are more important than yours. Serving, not being served. That's what God's word says. And that's what transforms us from the inside. In Romans 12, 2, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. The word of God will transform us. We're able to confront the world's hatred with God's word and his love as our protection. The word of God enables us to be in a relationship with God. I love this quote. This came from D.L. Moody. He wrote this in the front of his Bible. It says this, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Neglecting the word of God and looking towards the world is a dark and cold place. Jesus is the light of the world, and God's word is a light to us in a dark place 
The burden of our Lord's prayer was for protection and sanctification that we would be set apart for practical holy living to the glory of God. We're in the world, but we're not of it. And we shouldn't live like the world does. True sanctification comes from being set apart and through God's word. In John 15, 3, it says this, you are already, you are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. We're saved, we're set apart. God loves us more and more. We grow in our faith and we experience that sanctification, that change in our lives. We sin less, we love God more, and we serve and we become a blessing to others. And all this comes from the Word of God. And now, Jesus now closes with this prayer. He's praying for all of us. He's praying for the whole church. He's praying for future believers that they might be united in Christ and one day share in his glory. And it says this in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in the message through their message. Jesus is praying not only for those right then and there, but he's praying for each and every one of us. And he's praying for our witness to the world for people to come. He's praying for all future believers. He's praying for a revival to come from each generation to generation. That as we make God known to people, that they would receive him, they would serve him, they would love him, and they would tell people about Jesus and what he's done for them. In verse 21, it says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that you are, may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to a complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as I have loved them. The church represents Jesus to the world by our unity and our love. There's unity in the truth, there's unity in the word of God, and there's power in that unity. Don't we love it when we see our kids living in unity together, when they're in harmony with each other? That's the same thing that God, God is pleased with that. And it says in Psalms 133.1, it says, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. I've given them the glory, the reality of holy living, living a Christ-centered life. Aren't you glad that God isn't looking at us today and how we actually live our lives? I know for me, I'm looking at that and I'm thankful that he's not looking at the things that I do every day that wouldn't glorify him. In Romans 8.30, it says this, And those he predestined, he, he also called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I'm so thankful that I'm glorified because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I'm thankful for his son. In verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And where does Jesus want us to be? He wants us to be in heaven, each and every one of us. He wants us to follow him and enjoy heaven with him someday. 
And I know that we'll be in heaven with him because of this prayer, but we will be there because we received him into our lives because of his finished work on the cross, being crucified for our sins. In verse 25, righteous father, through the wor- though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is saying, I've made you known. Father, I have made you known. He's declaring who God is to the lost world. He's saying, I'm the bread of life. I'm the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I have showed them through my miracles. I have told them who you are. And that's what we should be doing. That's the finished work in our lives, that we should be making Jesus known to a lost world. It's not what the world thinks of us, about our popularity or our positions or our power or our possessions. It's not the measurements of the world that we should be looking for. It's the measurements of what God says. And Jesus right now is in heaven praying for us. He's praying for protection in this evil world, a world that hates us because of his word. He's praying that we have joy, that we would be set apart from this world, that we would be on mission for him to share the love of Christ and be in unity with other disciples. It's not about what the world says. It's about what God says and what God's word says. And the one thing that we should all want to hear are these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. That we have finished the work and that we have made God known into a dark world. And right now, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus and you don't know him and you don't have that oneness with him, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to make him your Lord and your Savior. To have that bright light shining in your life that you can be that bright light shining into your community. If you would, just bow your heads and pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. You are victorious over death. And I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and that I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. I want the protection. I want to learn your word I want to be set apart from the world and I want to grow in the love of Christ. I want my faith to increase because of your word. Father, thank you. I receive you into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.